helps. So uh, we have arrived at the very end of a book which was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison in uh, his own house, but it was a, treated as a prison. He was chained to Roman soldiers in Rome, and out of that uh, misery, he wrote one of the most joyful books in the Bible, and that's why we find the word rejoice so often in it. And he wrote it to the church that was in the town of Philippi, which is where he brought the gospel. It's the first place in Europe that he brought it to, only to find himself imprisoned there as well. So uh, a letter that uh, responds to a lot of needs. And the structure of the uh, sermon is as follows. It's quite straightforward. I'm calling it the story of the contented Christian. And um, Paul, in verse 11 and 12, says, I have learned to be content whatever circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And so the first theme, if you look at the, para the, the paragraphs in the chapter in front of you, verses 10 to 13, he talks about the secret of being content. Look at that in verse 12. And then if you go down to the next section from verses 14, to verse 19, he rejoices and gives thanks to the Philippian church for a gift that they had delivered to him through one of their leaders, a fellow called Epaphroditus. And uh, he also then discusses the matter of giving and how that supports his contentment. And then finally, there's a few verses that are at the end that looks at what I'll call the Christian company, uh, that is fellowship. All the saints greet you. So that's the structure. Three, it's lovely for a preacher to have three simple bits, and it's lovely to be able to use a bit of alliteration, Christian contentment, Christian commitment, and Christian company. And I hope that from that, God will speak to us and give us some thoughts that we can take away and build on our lives. So the first one, Christian contentment in all circumstances. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you happy? Yeah. Are you content? What's the difference, I wonder? The Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no satisfaction, which if you notice those of grammar, it's a double negative, so it actually means the opposite. But anyhow, uh, what they were trying to say is that nothing satisfies, and they should know they had all the money in the world, they had sex, rock, rock and roll, drugs, everything they had, and they still couldn't be satisfied with it. And that's so true for many. So are you satisfied? What would it take if there was one thing you could have and you would say, I would be content with that, what would it be? Now, some people say, give me a million pounds and I'll be content because I've got financial worries. Others would say, no, I need a new house. Give me that. I'll be content. Or I need friendship. Give me a friend. Or a new job. Or even sweets. Why did I give you those sweets? Those sweets are chocolates. You know what chocolate does to your mind and your body? It perks you up and makes you feel a bit happy. And then after about the amount of time that I've allowed between giving you the chocolates and this sermon, it's gone down a bit. And before you know it, you'll want another chocolate to get another high. You see? That's, oh, I was very cunning there, wasn't I? You see? So contentment just in chocolate only lasts so many minutes. A contentment in any of those other things. 
I, uh, I used to be in the army, and I was in a corps that used to uh, encourage people who were leaving the army to think and plan for their resettlement. Where are you going next? And I ran an education center, and uh, we had various soldiers come in. And a sergeant came in with his wife. We encouraged them to bring families with them and discussed planning for leaving the army. It's a, a huge culture shock for those who have known no nothing else. And so uh, he said, have you made any planning financially? Have you given any thoughts about a pension? At which point his wife perked up and said, it's okay, we give every week to the lottery. And my colleague very gently reminded her and her husband that actually there's only one in a 14 million chance of anything happening out of that and that you need a bit more th thoughtful planning. But some people think if I get a million pounds, I'll be content. Do you know what the average person in Britain earns these days? The average wage is about 25,000. And if you work for 40 years, I can tell you now, you are a millionaire. After 40 years on that salary, you will have earned a million pounds. Now, some of you might say, can I have it now? But uh, either way, they might think, that's, that's it. But are you satisfied? Are you happy? As Mike was pointing out last week, every time you get a million, you want another million. You'll spend it. And we always know that our needs seem to expand when we get a bigger house or a bigger box. And so there's all these challenges about it. So what is the secret? Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord uh, because I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And he goes on to add, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and hungry, of having plenty and, having, and being in need in all circumstances. What's Paul trying to tell us here? If you think that contentment can ever happen in getting something more or having or owning something, you're putting your emotions and your heart in the wrong place. Contentment isn't in what you get. A young man came to Jesus. He was a very wealthy man, and he had clearly inherited a lot of this wealth. And he was called the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus, and he said to Jesus, what one thing must I do to inherit eternal life? As if there was just one thing. Do you know what Jesus said to him? He didn't say anything he could do. He reminded him of the commandments, to make him think again. And then Jesus said, sell all you have, come, follow me. He said the same thing to that young man as he said to everybody who came up, the 12 apostles, anyone who wanted to become a disciple, he said, come, follow me. The contentment, the satisfaction, eternal life, had nothing to do with anything that young man could do or give. It had everything to do with who he could meet and follow and serve. You get it? The priorities are what it's all about. And Jesus pointed this out in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, last week, we had a bit of a reminder of this. Jesus taught, and he said, look, you're all worried about what you wear. I'm sure some people have worried today about what they're going to put on and wear. Uh, you're all worried about what you might eat. Where's the next meal coming from? In other words, you're worried about things. That's not what being happy in life or content with life is about. It's not about that. 
Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We're all dependent on it, so he knows we need them. But he says this, here's the secret of contentment. Seek first. The priority is the kingdom of God. When you see Jesus and make him the priority, and he comes into your life, everything else melts away. Everything then gets put on the right priority. It's not what you do, it's who you know, and the question is, do you know Jesus? And this is an important verse for me. When I was 17, I was born in 1953, I'll give the secret away, yeah, you can work it all out in your heads. When I was 17, I came to Jesus. That was 53 years ago, so keep the 53 in your head. And um, uh, I was confused, I was in my teens, I was... A-levels were coming up. I was worried, was I going to pass or fail? I was worried, who would I marry? Who would I love? What, what, what job will I do? What's my, I better go to, what university? Should, all these things were barging in. And I went and I heard the good news about Jesus from a chap who actually was the bishop of Kamaroja in Uganda, of all places. And I listened to this man and I realized, I need that. I need that because I don't have Jesus in my heart. I thought I knew about him. I don't have him. I don't. I need to surrender to him. And so I did that, and with the Bible open, I stopped at this very verse, and I gave my life to Jesus. I sought him first. Now, that was 53 years ago, and a few bit of water under the bridge. But have I found anything different? No, he has continued to supply. And I've been, when I left the army, there was a bit where I didn't, have, I didn't know where the next penny was going to come from. It was a very harrowing period, but God supplied. And this is the amazing thing. The contentment is meeting Jesus and knowing him. And that is why uh, Paul could say with all confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, he's not saying, I'm Superman. He's saying, anything the Lord wants me to do, he will supply. I will be able to do it. And that is the priority, and that is where contentment comes from. Can I say this? And this is a bit of a personal experience. When I became a Christian, I, oh, uh, up to high dough, wasn't I? Then next, next day, I had to go back to school. Down I came. And then I met some more Christians, and I started witnessing in school, and they became Christians. And so I was going back up again, and then the next week came. And then summer came, and I had a summer job, and oh, that wasn't very nice, very dirty, messy thing. And then I went on the beach mission, and I was back up here again. And then I came back, and then up again, and down again. And the moods that often Christian people follow are up and down. Why? Because we follow our experience and our circumstances, and we think, if I go to a meeting like a church, and I get high, that's great, but there will be a low. And God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live in his word. I get a high every day, every morning, because I open the Bible and I read it, and I discover what Jesus is telling me day by day. We need to gain that consistency by trusting in him and feeding on him, not on either meetings or friends or celebrations. They all have their place, but it's having Jesus at the heart that puts the priorities where they need to be. So then he carries on. Paul continues on these next few verses, 14 to 19, and he says, the thing that I really thank you for in verse 18, I have been paid in full. I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, 
And Paul found that no matter what the circumstances, something turned up and he was being very generously looked after. Indeed, in verse 15 up there, it says that nobody was caring for me, but you, no church shared with me in the matter of giving except you. And so he was grateful to them. You sent and helped for my needs more than once. But he discusses the matter of giving in a very blunt way here. And I'm going to tell you a story that um, uh, if the, some of you may have seen before, uh, the um, Canon J. John of the Church of England has often used this story. And I'm going to share it with you if you haven't heard it. Those who have, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but um, the story goes this way. A chap was flying out and he came into an airport. When he went into the airport, he's feeling, uh, I've got a few minutes, uh, so I'll get myself a cup of coffee. And he went up to the barista and he got the cup of coffee. And as he was about to go, he said, the, 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 the chap in the counter said, hey, would you like a bag of donuts to go with it? We've got mini donuts here, just a few. Nice to have with a cup of coffee. He said, oh, I'll have that. And so he picked up the bag of donuts and the coffee and his, uh, his briefcase and all that. And he wandered around and he looked around and it was full. There were no seats anywhere. All the tables were full. Oh, except over in the corner there, there was a table and there was uh, just one man at it. And the, the table would at least seat four. So he thought, I'll go over there. And he walked over to the table and he approached it. And he said, <clears throat> is it okay to sit here? And the man nodded and smiled at him. And so he, he, he pulled the chair out and uh, he put, put his briefcase down. He put his coffee in the table. He took his coat off, put it over the chair. And then he sat down and he started sipping his coffee. And uh, he had enjoyed a few tastes of coffee, and then he decided it's time to have a donut. And so he opened the bag of donuts, he put his finger in, and he pulled out a donut, and he started munching it away. And he just closed the top of the bag of donuts, sat back, munched away at his donut. Mmm, lovely, lovely, as good as those sweets you've just had. And he had a sip of coffee. And as he was taking a sip of coffee, to his horror and amazement, the chap opposite leaned forward and opened the bag of donuts. And then he put his hand in the bag of donuts and he took out another donut. And the chap who was sitting there couldn't believe his eyes. He then preceded this other fella to start eating his donut. And he was munching away and he looked at him and stared at him. And the chap smiled and nodded back at him and he kept eating his donut. And he was astonished. He said, What sort of maniacs come through this airport? He said, you don't, he, didn't, he didn't dare say anything. He thought, maybe this chap actually is a little bit, you know, not altogether there, you know, two pints short, short a quart or whatever. And he uh, thought, well, well, I better not say anything. He might, he, you know, he might hit me or he, 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 might, he might get angry or create a scene. So he, he gave him a stare, you know, one of those stares. I'm watching you. Anyhow, he then took another sip of his coffee and opened a bag of donuts and picked another donut out, munched away and watched the fella. And this time, he dragged the packet of donuts back beside his cup of coffee. And he started drinking his coffee again, keeping an eye on him. And then he glanced down at his newspaper. As he glanced down to his news, you won't believe it, the chap reached across, grabbed the donut bag away from his cup of coffee, pulled it over to his side of the table, opened it, put his hand in, and took another donut. And he started munching away. And the fella stared at him, and he smiled and nodded back, and he ate his donut. And he thought, 
This, this, is, this, is, this is crazy. This is mad. I can't stay here. I, I must do something. Uh, but he, did, he looked around for security, but there was nobody there. And uh, so he, uh, he, was a, he sipped his coffee again, and he looked, and he was about to, to get very angry and say something, when at that point, the chap looked at his watch and, and clearly was checking his flight and thought, he stood up. He was leaving. That's great. You do not thief. I don't want to see you ever get out of here quick. He didn't say it, of course. He just thought it in his head. Anyhow, the donut thief stood up and unbelievably grabbed the packet of donuts, opened them again, put his hand in, and he picked out the last donut. And he then left the paper there, and he picked it out, and he broke it in two, and he left half the donut on the paper and pushed it towards the fella and then he started eating the other half of the donut and then checked his watch and smiled goodbye and disappeared he was absolutely horrified these donut thieves in this airport i don't believe it's happening anyhow he checked his own watch and thought I'm not touching that disgust. It's COVID or something. I'm not touching that. And he pushed it as far away as he could. He's had his fingers on. And uh, so he uh, finished his coffee, put the coffee down, and then thought, I better go and catch my flight. So he stood up. He picked his coat up, put his coat on, and then he turned around to pick up his bag. And as he bent down to pick up his bag, he saw sitting on top of his bag his unopened pack of donuts. And suddenly he realized the chap isn't stealing the donuts. He's sharing the donuts. Now, J. John goes on to compare that to Christian giving. And he makes some interesting points. I'll share one or two with you. Number one, God owns all the donuts. They're not yours. Number two, every week or every month, depending on when you get paid or benefits come in, every one of us gets 10 donuts. There's always 10. And uh, when you uh, get your 10 donuts, Paul teaches that on the first day of the week, because they got paid weekly, everyone should uh, set aside for the church a proportion. And in the Old Testament, the Jews give 10%. So of the 10 donuts, one of them should be given to the church, back to God, as it were. That leaves you nine donuts to live off. And um, uh, some people uh, don't need nine donuts to live off. They can live on less. And so they can maybe give another donut with somebody else. Or perhaps I know many people in this church are giving to families elsewhere in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. And so some of the donuts may have to go to them. Some of the donuts may go to tear fund or charities uh, as well. But the principle is that we give the donuts back to God, or some of them back to God. And he lives, gives us the rest to live off. Some might think, I can't manage a nine donuts. I need all 10. In fact, I need 11 donuts. Jesus called the disciples and he said to them, feed this crowd. I know there's 5,000 men and there's, well, there's 10,000, 20,000 if you add the kids and, and, and wives in. Feed that crowd. He said, well, we ain't got anything. Well, what do you got? Five loaves, two fishes. Jesus made five loaves, two fishes, feed 20,000 people. 
You think you can't make nine donuts cover your need for 11 or even 12? God is no man's debtor. He allows, he brings, he uses what we have. He leaves us what we need, but he also encourages us and gives us beyond our needs. And that's the message that's up there on the board. I've been satisfied. I've been paid in full. I have more than enough, says the Apostle Paul. And I think it's very important to remember, God does own all the donuts. And the very interesting fact is this. Jesus, after he had told some stories in the temple, he brought the disciples with him, and he said, come and watch this. And they went over to the area of the temple where there was a big box with a hole in the top, and that's where the people came in to give their donations. And he watched them. And as he watched them, he says, it says, a poor widow came in and put in two tiny copper coins, a hypnotic, less than a penny. And he says, truly, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. What did the others do? They all give out of their wealth. They may not have even given one donut. They may have given a half donut because they could afford to give any amount they felt. But they, they, they tried to boast in their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. That lady put in all ten donuts. Think about that. Did she go hungry? Spare? Not a bit of it. Because Jesus commends this woman because that reflected her heart and her love. I'm not talking about just money here. Let me tell you this. God owns all the donuts. God sent Jesus to die on the cross. He emptied Do you know when heaven was empty, the heavenly choir couldn't sing his praises in heaven anymore, so they had to come down to Bethlehem to sing his praises. Heaven was empty when Jesus came to earth. God emptied heaven, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross to empty himself for our sins. And so it says, Paul writes, that we have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. It is the biggest gift that God could possibly give. Therefore, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. This body ain't yours. You only inhabit it for 70, 80, 90 years or whatever. You're temporarily in, uh, renting out this space. That home you've got isn't yours. One day it'll go to somebody else. That pension, whatever your money comes from, isn't yours. God gives it. The ten donuts he gives is for use for his kingdom because everything you are, have, and could ever be is his. And you know that because you want to go there and be with him in heaven and he will give all heaven to you. That is the essence of true Christian generosity. So that Paul could say, God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so he concludes this uh, passage on the book of Philippians with this simple thought. Amen. May God the Father be glory forever and ever. And then he says, greet every saint. In other words, don't keep this to yourselves. Pass it on. And he describes them as saints. Do you know, if you're a believer here, you are a saint. Yeah, you can polish your halo up at night time if you want. You may not get a, you know, we don't have any colored windows here for saints. Uh, we don't do that. Because every single believer in Jesus 
is a saint. It means sanctified, set apart for God's service. Every square inch of our body is his. And he says even the emperor's household, people there who Paul had witnessed the gospel to the soldiers, they went back to the emperor's household in Rome. Actually, I've been there on the site of it, Nero's palace, Caesar's palace. It's no longer, not, no, not the one out in Las Vegas, the one in Rome, I mean, and it's not there anymore. But that household, there were slaves there and others who were witnessing to Jesus in that place. Isn't it amazing? The company that we share is for sharing to the company, for all to come and have. And finally, he ends with the grace. Of course, the grace of the Lord Jesus ends the prayer. It ends the book. It also starts the book because we start with grace, we end with grace. What is grace? Sorry if you've heard this before. Grace is the opposite but the same truth as mercy. He starts with grace and mercy in this book. Mercy is where you appear before a judge, you're as guilty as sin, and the judge says, I'm going to reduce the sentence. I'm going to pardon. I'm going to have mercy on you. Mercy is where you don't get what you do deserve. That is punishment for sin. Grace is the opposite. Grace is where the judge doesn't just say that, but the judge says, you're innocent. I am passing on my innocence to you. It's a very hard concept to get your head around, but grace is where you do get what you don't deserve. Forgiveness of sins, pardon, a place in heaven, eternal life that the rich young ruler sought. God offers this in Jesus Christ, nothing else. No other contentment, no other commitment is required but giving yourselves to Jesus Christ, and that brings you into the company of his people. Have you found that for yourself? Have you received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is with your spirit? That is what he offers. If you haven't, do talk to someone before you leave today. And if you have, rejoice in it.